day. This morning, I'd like to go to the Word. We're going to be in Numbers 11. We're going to flip over to Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps. And the title of my message is In the Desert. How many of you ever been in the desert? You needed a little water when you're in the desert, but water is scarce. In 2010, a gentleman named Ed Rosenthal, who was an experienced hiker, went out on a hike in the desert, the, the, the desert of California. It was very hot, and he thought he was prepared. He was mesmerized by God's creation, and so he got off of the path that he was used to, and he began to explore, and before you know it, he was lost. He made two mistakes that day. He was alone, and he didn't have a map. And in this spiritual journey that we're all on, you need not to be alone, and you need a map. For the next days, he began to cry out for help. He had one flare in his backpack. He shot it, no response. Day two happened. The heat was extreme in California in the, in the, the desert where there's just no precipitation, there's no humidity at all. Day three happened. By the time he got to day six, he had lost 20 pounds. He had given up all hope. He was trying to carve out in his hat a will saying something to his kids because he knew that his life was going to be over uh, momentarily when suddenly he heard the sound of a chopper. He had prayed. He had prayed, God, would you rescue me? God, would you rescue me? And a helicopter came. They were able to, to life flight him to a hospital, get him fluids. And after a week in the hospital, he was able to exit. And he swore he would never go hiking ever, ever, ever again. Have you ever been on a hike and you found yourself just going in circles? Perhaps it was the desert of a job situation. It's really heated. There's no precipitation, it seems, and you're just exhausted, and you don't know how to get out of the desert. Perhaps you've been circling around a marriage issue. There's a marriage conflict that it keeps keeping you in the desert, and you don't know how to get out of it. Perhaps it's an addiction that you just don't know where to go. This morning, I would like to give you one little piece of encouragement to get out of any desert that you might be in. How many need this encouragement? Numbers chapter 11 gives us a little piece of truth that helps us get out of the desert. If I could back up and just give you a little preview of where we're going today, uh, I would like to preach through the first five books of the Old Testament. Is that okay? How long do we have, Pastor Bruce? How many still want to beat the Baptist to lunch? Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll have a lot of assignment, and I'll say to it. Back in Genesis, you remember the, the beginnings of everything, that God spoke, and then there was everything. Uh, these last few days, my dad has been in a hospital. In fact, he's in a Tulsa hospital right now having a procedure as we speak. And yesterday, a doctor came in and uh, began to show us some CT scans. And CT scans aren't what they used to be. You know, it used to look like a thunderstorm coming over Tulsa County. I, didn't, I thought they were making stuff up. But now they can zoom in, and they showed uh, the, very, the very detailed parts of my father's organs and his vertebrae. Uh, how, listen, I'll just throw this in extra. If you have a small smartphone today, and you believe that could have come out of some explosion somewhere with all of its design and all of its in, uh, just incredible uh, idiosyncrasies that it can function, but you believe that our bodies that are fearfully wondering, wonderfully made came out of just some cosmic accident, you got more faith than I got. 
Man, the doctor was showing how my dad, who uh, was a stroke victim, he's been paralyzed for 22 years, his body still begins to work, and I just had one thought as he showed me these scans. God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Without, uh, without a design, uh, there wouldn't be a designer, but with a design, there's always a designer, and, and so we see God designed everything. That's the first half of Genesis. We see the beginnings of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The last half of that book, we see that uh, it's about faith and forgiveness. The first, the first half of the book, we see Adam in the desert of sin, trapped. We see, we see Abraham in some dilemmas, and then we get to Joseph, and he was in the desert, he was betrayed by his brothers. Have you ever experienced betrayal by someone that was close to you? Maybe by someone in the church, maybe by a church leader? That is a deserted place to be, and yet Joseph somehow found faith and forgiveness. We flip over to the second book, Exodus. It's all about rescue. But suddenly, the Israelites found themselves in a place of slavery. Have you ever been there? Everything was going okay, but something slipped up on you, and suddenly you weren't in control of it. It was in control of you. And the Israelites found themselves enslaved to the Egyptian armies, and yet God got them out of that desert through a man named Moses. They get out of the desert, and we get some road signs at the last half of Exodus, the Ten Commandments and other laws. They're going to help guide them through the desert. Then we get to Leviticus. How many have messed up your Bible reading plan when you got to to Leviticus, especially when it got to uh, bodily um, fluids. That was always an inspirational chapter for me. Uh, but Leviticus has a purpose. The first chapter, verse 1 of Leviticus, says that God called Moses from without the holy place, the tent of meeting. And when you get to the next book, Numbers, Moses is in the tent of meeting, and God is calling him in chapter 1 of verse 1. How do you get from outside the tent into where God is inside of the tent? Leviticus is all about holiness. And God calls us out of the desert of worldliness and hedonism and pleasure, and he calls us out of the desert into his very holy presence. Are you with me? Then we flip over and we get to what our, we call it numbers. And the reason the book is called numbers is because there's two censuses in the book, one in the beginning and one towards the end of the book where God's counting everyone. I used to think that God wasn't concerned about numbers until I read a book and the entire book is entitled Numbers. How I many know God is, God is concerned about numbers because every number represents a soul. And God is concerned about every soul. Now, in the, in the Hebrew Bible, this book is not called Numbers because in chapter 1, verse 1, if you look at Numbers verse 1 of chapter 1, it actually has the Hebrew word that means through the desert, in the wilderness. And so that is the name for the Hebrew book of, of Numbers. It's in the desert, in the wilderness, because God is leading his people out of the wilderness into the promised land. In Deuteronomy, they get closer to the promised land, and Deuteronomy is all about listening. It's the Shema, chapter 6, hero Israel. And we're supposed to listen to the things of God. And if we can listen today, I believe we can get out of the desert. Anybody want to get out of a desert you might be in? Anybody want to help someone else get out of a desert that they might be in? Okay, then why don't you stand for the reading of the word. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2 at the beginning here, and I always like to memorize at least one verse of Scripture today. I call it the in the vault text because we put it in the vault of our heart so that we won't sin against God is what the psalmist said. When Jesus was tempted, he quoted Scripture and the enemy was defeated. So here's one way how you get out of the desert 
You don't complain. Here's what Philippians says. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Say it with me. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Where's it found? Philippians 2. You got it. Say it again. Do some things without arguing. Oh, I missed it up, didn't I? Let's get it right. Do a few things without complaining and, okay, we better get it right. Here we go. Say it real loud. Do without complaining and arguing. Philippians chapter 2, verse We better pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us learn from the Israelites who wouldn't stop their ever-loving complaining? And Lord, we can be critical of them, and yet sometimes it's hard to even understand the nature of our own heart that can be hypercritical at times. We see it in everyone else. It's hard to see it in ourselves. So Lord, today, by your word, may you help us, Lord, get out of the place that we're at and into the place of promise that you've prepared for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I hope you stop your complaining. Okay, go with me to Numbers chapter 11 if you have your Bibles. The Apostle Paul is is speaking this verse not from the Waldorf Astoria. He's not on a beachfront property with palm trees and some lemonade. He's in Roman prison. And yet, he can say, do everything without complaining and arguing. How many think that should apply to us wherever you might be? He wasn't in a Martha Stewart prison. He was in a Roman prison, and yet he keeps his good attitude with him the entire time. Now, let's go back to Numbers chapter 11. And this this chapter is all about elimination of the complaint factor in our heart. There's a lot of complaining going on, and if we're not careful in our homes, in our jobs, even in our churches, the spirit of complaining can come, and we lose our focus on how God is leading us from that desert place into the place of promise. Numbers chapter 11, we find ourselves with the Israelites one year and one month after they've been delivered from Egypt. They should still be celebrating. They're not slaves anymore, and yet... This complaining spirit has set in. From where they are at in this chapter to the place of promise that God had promised to Abraham is an 11-day journey. Now, we understand that one of the reasons why they didn't get there is because God was protecting them from some enemies at first. But the truth is, we see from the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 10, that one of the reasons it took them 40 years is because they hardened their heart They forgot who their God was, and they started complaining. Can I tell you, if you're full of whining, you're not going to be full of worship. You cannot worship and whine at the same time. Are you with me? Man, how about that worship, Pastor Russell? How about the team up here? That was some pretty good worship. Can you put your hands together and thank the worship team who worked really hard on that? Man, powerful, powerful worship. But you know what? We can come in, can't we? And we can say, oh, you know, I don't like that song. Or, boy, that, they sung that too many times. And, you know, sometimes we, we complain, oh, man, those new 7-Eleven songs, all I do is take the same seven words and sing them 11 times. You know, I grew up in church. When the row is called up yonder. That's seven words. When the, ro- the next line to that song, when the row is called up yonder. Let's see, what's the next line? The next line, when the row is called up yonder. Seven, another seven 
The last line, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. We've been singing the same song since the psalmist was writing, the psalmist who says over and over, the steadfast love of my God is forever. Sometimes we're so thick skull that we need to get the repetitive nature of praise into our heads. So we can either whine or we can worship. Which one are you doing? Now let me give you some reasons why we shouldn't be complaining. Uh, Are you still with me? Some are like, why did I come to church today? <laughs> this crazy preacher from Oklahoma City has come, and he's messing up my, my plan because I was com- going to complain about the boss tomorrow for sure. But I promise you, that's not the way out of the desert that you're in. So let's look at this, this just real quick. The first key is this. Complaining is dangerous. Everybody say dangerous. Complaining is dangerous, not only to your spirit, but to the people around you. Let me illustrate this by the first part of Numbers uh, chapter 11. Here's what it says. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. One of the reasons it's dangerous to complain is because God is listening to you, right? And you remember after he heard the Israelites complain, he said, he said I think I'm going to destroy them. <laughs> How we know you don't want to get on God's bad side? We see what happens in the end, right? So the Lord heard them, everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. It is dangerous to complain about the things of God. Exclamation point. I heard a story about a monk who had gone into monastery, and this particular strict monastery, you could only speak two words every 10 years. So he entered, and every day he was silent, and for 10 years he said nothing. And then after 10 years, he came to his supervising monk, if there is such a thing, and he was able to express his his two words. And here's what he said. He only has two to say. What would you say? He said, food, bad. Then he went back to his room and began to pray. Ten years later, he comes to his, his monastery supervisor, and he gets two words, and the supervisor says, you're allowed to speak. And he said, bed hard. And he went back to his room for the next 10 years to pray and to contemplate. And then 10 years later, he's been in monastery 30 years, and he gets two more words. And he says to his supervisor, I quit. The supervisor busted into an exclamation, and he said, that's all right. You've done nothing but complain ever since you've been here. (laughs) It's easy to do, isn't it? Easy to do. But what does the Apostle Paul say to us? Remember the verse, First Corinthians, first, I'm sorry, Philippians, that's another verse. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says what? Do everything without and you're starting to get this. Are you able to do it? Because see, complaining is dangerous. I have a wristband that has this very text, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, engraved on it. And sometimes when I get in traffic, I have to pop myself. It's a, it's a test for me because I don't want to be a complainer. No one likes to be around a complainer, do you, right? But how many know sometimes it's fun to complain about other people? Can I give you insight? The people that are coming to you to complain about other people are going to other people to complain about you. Have we learned this truth? It was Mark Twain that said, 80% of the people that you complain to don't care, and 20% are happy that something bad's happened to you. That's Mark Twain. And so I'll get in traffic, and, man, I'll have to pop myself. And, and not too long ago, I was driving behind a big box truck, a delivery truck, and I thought, what in the world? They were all over the road. And suddenly, I thought, they're texting. I better get around them. But they weren't texting. They had a newspaper spread out over their steering wheel, driving all over the road. I had a few choice 
words of wisdom for them. But then I had to pop myself because I shouldn't be complaining. I just need to get out of the way, right? Complaining can be dangerous, and you'll get stuck in the desert like the Israelites were for 40 years going around the same places. The second reason you need to get out of the complaining desert is because complaining is contagious. Everybody say contagious. Complaining is contagious. If you're around complainers, you will become a complainer. Have you experienced this? Sometimes it's at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Start complaining about, oh, crazy uncle. Do you have? I am over quota on crazy uncles. I hope they're not watching this live stream today. But, you know, they'll start complaining, and then it's just kind of fun to jump in, and then we can just all have pity parties. But when you're whining, you're not worshiping, and God can't get your spirit right. The reason he doesn't want you to complain is because it doesn't get your spirit healthy, and he can't get you to that spiritual place of promise that God has for you. It is contagious. It's more contagious than COVID-19. Let me show you the verse here, what happens on the Israelite journey here in Numbers chapter 11. This next verse, this text it says, this next couple of verses, it says, then the foreign rabble, listen, man, man, MSNBC would be all over that if somebody calls somebody foreign rabble, right? But the Bible just gets to it. And so these were, these were Gentiles and they uh, were foreign rabble who were traveling, trying to get with the Israelites to the promised land. They began to crave the good things of Egypt and the people of Israel also began to complain. What happened? They got around the wrong kind of people and they start complaining complaining too. They said, oh, for some meat, they explained. Oh, for some meat. Now, read the whole chapter uh, later when you get home. But what had God done? In fact, read the few chapters before it. God had been providing them with manna. Manna from the sky. This is better than Lambert's throat rolls, right? You just hold out your hands. Listen, there's no carbs. It goes right with your keto diet. Dr. Atkins is happy, and you get all that you want. But the the foreign rabble begin to complain. It's contagious. The Israelites begin to complain, and everybody's complaining, and God is so gracious. Then he sends them quail. It's up to their knees in quail. Do they stop their complaining because they get some protein? No. They continue their complaining because once you start the spirit of complaining, it's hard to get out of the spirit of complaining. I was a lead pastor for many years. A lead pastor is always the, the chief of the complaint department. And you know that any Sunday at any church, for someone, the service is too short, and for someone, it's too long. And for someone, the temperature is too cold, and for someone, it is too hot. And for someone, right now, it's too loud, and for someone, it's too quiet. How many know you're not going to please everybody, right? But we have to make sure that we listen to the Lord who wants us to be worshipers, designed us from the very beginning to be worshipers. And if we're whining, we cannot worship. We have to be very, 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 very careful. Back two years ago, you remember, we were still shut down. It was supposed to be two weeks to flatten the curve, and they had extended it after Easter, and we're still shut down two years ago. And, man, the ever-loving complaining started, didn't it? You know, if you, if you stayed open too, if you opened too early, people complained. If you opened too late, people complained. If you required everybody to separate, if you required masks, all the things, everybody began to complain. Complain, 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 complain. It was overwhelming for pastors. Your pastor and your team did a phenomenal job of leading through that crazy, crazy time. And this church that the enemy wanted to destroy by discontinuing, assembling together. Can I tell you, it's, it's apparent by the plaque that you just received. This church is healthier than ever. Can you say praise the Lord? Somebody ought to praise the Lord for that. 
right in the middle of that storm where everybody's coming to us and complaining about this and that. And then, uh, you know what happened in June and then the, the whole political season, it was overwhelming. You know what we realize is through Project Rescue that your church supports and David and Beth Grant, you know what happened because of the shutdown is people in, in Thailand and people in India that are, are slaves to human trafficking and, and sexual abuse, it all shut down. It completely shut down because there was no international businessmen traveling who are full of debauchery. And suddenly, those who own the slaves and human trafficking could not afford to feed them. And we had missionaries on the ground that your church supports, and they were able to take these ladies and these children, and they were able to get them into a place and feed them and clothe them and re and retrain them, and I got a box from them of homemade scarves that now they're not selling their bodies, they're selling crafts that God has designed them, and I said, oh God, would you forgive us for all the complaining about wearing a silly mask or staying six feet away from people we didn't like anyway when people around the world were being rescued? God, if you have to shut us down again to save one child, then forgive my complaining. And thanks for your support for our missionaries. It's why we came together as a network of churches so that we could be the greatest force of evangelism ever. And that's what your church is all about. I got to keep moving. Not only is complaining dangerous, not only is it contagious, it changes our perspective. In fact, it dims, it dims the past and it exaggerates uh, the past and it dims the current challenges. Complaining dims past challenges and exaggerates current challenges. The good old days weren't quite as good as we, we used to think they were, right? Um, boy, I, I remember having some, some great days at, at Turner Falls Youth Camp. Anybody ever go to Turner Falls Youth Camp? Man, I had three spiritual experiences. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was called into the, the ministry, and I got my first kiss. Glory to God. It was an amazing spiritual. She just laid one right on me. And, and it, was, it was great, but I went back to visit, and I, I forgot. You know, it was an outdoor tabernacle. There was no air conditioning, Neil. I don't know how we survived uh, in that, that place. We had, we had snakes falling out of the rafters on people. You know, we weren't going to handle them, but, boy, but a lot of people got the Holy Ghost when those snakes fell out. Tarantulas were crawling across us at the altars, and I'm thinking, man, the good old days I remember at camp weren't quite so good, right? And when we began to complain, past challenges they dim, and current challenges are exaggerated because we don't remember the perspective. Look what happens here with the Israelites in Numbers chapter 11. This next slide, Numbers 11.5. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all, they got fish, they got filet fish McDonald's sandwiches for free. They were slaves, and they're missing the filet fish and we had all the Larry Cucumbers we needed and all the melons and the leeks and the onions and the, all the garlics we wanted. They forgot that they were slaves. And sometimes we forget that God found us. We didn't find him. 
And we were lost in our sin. And God picked us up, and he redeemed us, and he transformed us, and he loved us so much. He put us in a body of believers like this great church that loves children and youth and senior adults and outreach to the community. I don't think there's any citizen of Owasso that doesn't know who Pastor Bruce and Janet McCarty are. They spent 20 years shepherding this flock, but also shepherding this city. That's the sign of an amazing church leader. Healthy churches are pastors led and deacon protected and staff supported and laity equipped to do the work of the ministry. But oftentimes we think, well, I remember back there in 1937 and I remember I had a lady in my church come. I've had her all kinds of complaints and her complaint was this. She was all upset and mad. I said, what, what's wrong? And she came into the office and sat down and she said this, too many people are coming to know Jesus in this church. I said, can you say that again? <laughs> And she said, too many people are coming to know Jesus in this church. I said, can you say that to me again? And she said, when I got saved, I came to the altar, and I tarried for 17 days before God delivered me of my sin. And then it was months before I felt worthy to be baptized. And then it was years before I felt like I could even be an upstanding member of the church. I said, well, this is an easy lesson here. You were more sinful than all the other people that are coming to know Jesus here. Now, she doesn't go to the church anymore, but she, um, she found some stagnant church that wasn't doing anything, and she's happy now. I'm exaggerating a little bit there, but people get all upset about everything. I had one person come to me and said, we're really upset that we're giving too much to mission. I said, so you think we should ought to just keep it here? And they said, yes, we are spoiling the missionaries. They said this to me, Pastor Gary. They said, if we give that much to the missionaries, they're going to be spoiled and they won't have any trust in the Lord. I said, obviously you have not been on the mission field, and I have to let you know, we're going to give more than we gave last year because God has called us not to quit until everyone hears the gospel. And so we can't let what happens, our perspective change, and we remember the good days and because the good days weren't as good as they were. i got to keep moving really, really quickly. Here are my next point. Complaining discourages leadership. Complaining will always discourage leadership. Let me show you what I'm talking about here in the next verse. Numbers chapter 11 and verse number 10. It says, Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. Don't you love the NLT here? And the Lord became extremely angry, and Moses was also very aggravated. We go to the next slide here, just the, the next verse there, verse 15. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Pastor Bruce, I think I had a day or two like that. <laughs> God, just spare me. If they're not going to quit complaining, just spare me and get me out of here. Listen, I pray that Pastor Bruce is the first one to call me to say, hey, Wooten, you're going to have to get back up here to Owasso because these people are overwhelming my staff and overwhelming me and Janet. They will not stop encouraging us. We are so over-encouraged, we, we don't know what to do. They are praying for us every day. They are uplifting us every day. They, I haven't heard a complaint in a whole year. I don't know what to do. How many believe Owasso First Assembly could be the first church in the history of Oklahoma that could pull that off? How many will at least say, I'm going to pray for my pastors every day? You'll raise your hand right here. Because listen, when you uphold your pastor's hands, just like Aaron and her down in the valley, Joshua is fighting the battle, and the Amalekites are going to be defeated. 
Listen, God wants to get you out of the desert, but God wants to take this church who he's led for so many years under the amazing leadership of the McCartys with Pastor Lambert back there and others to this place that we're at now, but God's not finished. Your eye hasn't seen. Your ear hasn't heard. It hasn't entered into your heart. The great things that God has prepared for this church, so we better start worshiping and stop whining. If we gave him thanks for all the things that he's done, all we got time for is worship. I don't have any time on my calendar calendar to whine. My son plays competitive basketball. This is his junior year. They're traveling today. They're in Kansas City. They've been in Indianapolis. It's that year. It's that junior year. And I ask a college coach. I love Coach Smith, who's here today. He's one of my heroes, too. He's a legend in Bartlesville. He, or he's a living legend in Bartlesville. You say his name in Bartlesville, and people say, Coach Smith. And I have a friend who's a basketball coach, and I called him about a situation our team was dealing with. And I said this. I said, Coach, how important is attitude on a basketball team? He didn't hesitate. He said, 100%. If you have the best talent and don't have the best attitude, it's going to be a disaster. But you give me a team of half-talented people with the right attitude, and we'll win championships. Wow, what if uh, maybe we're not the most talented people in the world, but what if we get our attitude right? What if we keep our spirit right? What if we stay in the presence of God? I believe God is going to keep doing miracles like he's always done miracles. Look at this last text I have, this last verse up here. I love this. This is the end of the chapter. I told you I'd preach through five books. We barely covered one chapter, but we overviewed it all. And the Lord came down in the cloud. And spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but this never happened ever again. God, in his mercy, through this whole chapter of complaining, in fact, the next chapter, if you read it, Moses' own sister starts complaining about Moses' wife. Man, you want to get in spiritual trouble, start getting into family feuds about this wife and this in-law, right? Don't talk about your don't talk about your mother-in-law before Christmas, right? That should be in the Apocrypha somewhere. But here, all this complaining, and yet God's mercy pours out his spirit, and these 70 elders begin to prophesy. And I'm believing right now, even in this moment, someone that's been stuck in the desert, you've even had a right to complain, but you've been going in circles in your life. Some headache, some trouble, some grandkids been doing something. You've been praying somebody out of something, but they keep doing it. And you've had the temptation to just shroud yourself with a complaining, whining spirit. And God says today, all over this place, put that aside. Trade that garment of heaviness for a garment of praise. Put your praise on. Let the tribe of Judah go up first into battle and begin to spend that time that's easy to throw a self-pity party complaining about stuff and begin to praise your God Almighty and watch him get you from the desert where it's so exhausting into the place of promise that God has prepared for you you. If that resonates in your spirit and you believe God wants you to be a worshiper, would you just stand up and give him praise all over this place? Just give him a shout of praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Before we enter a time of prayer, I just want to show you one more thing. If you're a leader, if you're a small group leader, if you're a pastor, if you're a minister, if you're a boss, you're an employer. You're going to have to deal with some complaints at times. It's just, it's just a given. But how you deal with that is so important. Moses, when God said, I think I'm just going to kill these people, Moses was so meek that he talked God out of killing the people. And as a pastor, there were some days I thought, I just want to get a front row seat, and I want to watch him destroy all these complainers. And I had to watch my own spirit 
because I was guilty in my early years of pastoring of complaining about the complainers. God slapped me one day and said, Wooten, you're tired of their complaining, but you're complaining about their complaining. So stop your complaining. You don't have time for it. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Moses didn't get to the promised land because he struck a rock twice. My reasoning, my understanding, this is just a derelism here. The reason that was such a severe blow is because all through those five books that I just briefly mentioned, God is painting a picture of redemption. You see it, the five books of the Pentateuch are, are paralleled in the five books of the Psalm. And then we see the New Testament that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And Moses struck the rock twice, and the rock, our Savior, was only to be struck once on the cross for you and for me. And Moses messed up the picture. But before we're critical of him, how many times have you and I messed up the picture of grace and redemption, a little road rage, or complaining to our kids, or just the wrong spirit. This is my definition of meekness. I couldn't find a good one, so I made up my own. So this is, don't put this in your theology book. But I believe meekness is being so comfortable with who you are in Christ that every situation is met with humility, gentleness, and self-control. But today, even if you've lost your meekness, I want you to know God and redeem the place of desert because it doesn't seem fair that Moses didn't get to the promised land. But if you go to the New Testament with Jesus and he goes up with the mountains with Peter, James, and John and suddenly the presence of God comes down and Moses is right there with him and Moses is standing on the mountain with Jesus and Moses is in the promised land with Jesus it may be impossible in your mind or heart for God to get you to that place of promise that God promised you so many years ago. But with Jesus, all things are possible. Heavenly Father, I ask you right now for someone in this room that's stuck in the desert. Lord, they've been bound. Perhaps they've been enslaved in the desert. Perhaps they've been betrayed by their brothers. Perhaps they found themselves entrapped by sin. And they think there's no way out of the desert. They're exhausted. They're tired. They've shot up the flares. No rescue helicopter has come. But today, you had a divine assignment for them because, Jesus, you are touching their heart right now. God, I pray that we would repent of the complaining, the, the bad spirit that, that it creeps up inside of all of us. And Lord, let us be worshipers of you. But right now, I pray that you would reach out to someone and let them know in your presence, in your holiness, that they will find themselves standing on that place of promise, wherever it might be, that you spoke to them so long ago. Lord, I pray that you would rebuke the attack of the evil one. Lord, I pray that you would just anoint this church for such a time as this. This is a strategic moment. There's so many obstacles in our culture. Our society is in moral decay. But Lord, there's so many opportunities for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
life is so short, we won't waste our time complaining and whining. We're going to spend our moments worshiping, sharing your love. Jesus' name. While no one's looking around, you're here, you'll say, you know what, I'm stuck in the desert of sin. If Jesus were to come back right now, I don't know if I would make it into eternity. I don't know if I would go to heaven. I don't know if I would go to hell. There's no reason today why you shouldn't have the assurance of salvation in your heart. You're in the desert of sin. God needs to rescue you right now. You've tried. You're never getting out of that. Jesus has already done everything. And saying you're going to get yourself fixed and then and then then you'll make things right is like saying my dad saying I'm going to get all my internal things fixed and then I'll go to the hospital it's absurd but if you're here right now no one's looking around you'll say yeah that's me I need out of the desert I need to accept Jesus I need to say yes to him I need to follow him in salvation you just raise your hand anywhere in this place thanks three hands four five thank you thank you you can put your hands down those that raise their hand would you just pray this prayer with me? In church, those of you who have been saved for a long time, everybody, would you just pray this prayer with me to affirm those that are making a decision for Jesus right now? Let's just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me, that you died for me on the cross. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my heart? Be my Lord and Savior. And help me follow you all my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Luke 15 says, angels rejoice when one decision. I think we ought to join in the angelic celebration today. Hallelujah. 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 If you raise your hand, would you grab a pastor? Would you go to guest services and just, said, just say, I said yes to Jesus today. They're going to get you plugged in, the right tools, the right group, and all those. Let me pray one more prayer for all of us. Lord, when we go out today, may we be full of worship from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. May not the temptation of complaint come over us, but when it does, may we quote the verse today. We'll do everything without complaining or arguing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a shout of praise for helping us get to the promised land.